Welcome to the PreparedX Podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the PreparedX Podcast. I'm your host as always, Rob Burton, and welcome to today's show. So today is all about enhancing your crisis management skills. Of course, we have the ninth conference coming up here in the beautiful Rhode Island, and today's guest actually will be there, Sally. So I'll introduce Sally shortly. We can't wait to have her join us. Um, So you'll get insights from eight uh, leading speakers, uh, top of their trade, as well as now actually five panelists uh, on day one. As well as day two, we've got some hands-on workshops, uh, everything from Crisis Management 101 through to Ransomware Incident Response. So don't miss out on the opportunity to well of course you can network there as well uh, as get your education and, and meet uh, the best in the trade so learn more at crisisconferences.com okay on to today's episode uh, today we're honored to have sally uh, branson darwood so a distinguished expert with over 20 years now of experience in diplomacy military government and corporate sectors looking forward to getting into the details there sally and a uh, career um, of advising senior australian politicians as well as the u.s joint chiefs of staffs uh, members as well as managing many public affairs programs and uh, significant geopolitical of of since sorry <laughs> of significant geopolitical importance that's a mouthful there and uh, in this yeah and in this episode we're going to be jumping into all of those uh, details we're going to be talking about how sally has been been able to manage and navigate chaotic and unpredictable uh global affairs so really excited sally welcome to the show Rob, thank you so much for having me. It is lovely to be here. We've just been talking how you're in the freezing cold snow and I'm in 95% humidity across the other side of the world. But isn't it wonderful that we've been able to connect through crisis and chaos? Yeah, I know. I know. It's great. And uh, we live in a small world now and uh, super excited to uh, to have you join us here. Uh, can you uh, just expand a little bit more for our audience before we jump in about your career so far? Of course. Well, I grew up in a tiny country town. I'm not going to go that far because when we say 20 years of experience, it's more like 25 moving towards 30 now. But um, I grew up in a tiny little town and and crisis and issues and military, none of that ever was across my radar. But I worked in... um, I got involved in politics very early, so um, when I was 15 and 16, and had a real love for the behind the scenes of politics, the policy making and the change. Uh, And I really love the community engagement and how when communities were active and motivated, how they could really work for change. And it all came down to relationships and communication and service. So I suppose going right back, one of my family values is our family values are all about service um, and my grandmother instilled that in me. So I knew that I wanted to have a career in service and politics was a really good fit for that because it was around how to serve and how to be involved in making policy. But as the time moved on, I went into community development. I did politics and community development at university and sociology. I went into outback and remote um, rural communities to do community development and um, 
brokering and connecting governments with communities. And that just became my thing. I then moved on, though, to the US State Department as a locally engaged staff member. Um, so that was in my 30s. And that was really where I became crisis aware and I became a defence media specialist uh, by absolute pure fluke. The ambassador at the time said to me, I need you to go to an air show. You know, behind the scenes, the reality was they were trying to sell some aircraft to Australia, the US government were trying to sell some aircraft to Australia. He said, I need a real, I need a really strong public affairs PR um, program. You'll be working out of a helicopter for 10 days on an on an airfield. And I was like, could I think of anything worse? How will my high heels cope on that time? <laughs> uh, anyway, it turned out to be life-changing, Rob, because I um, found a real love and passion because it was a way I could serve, I could meet all my values through work, and it was very issues and crisis rich. I actually remember in year 12, um, in Australia, we do something called issues as part of our English yes. studies. and studies, yep. yeah. And um, I can remember that really changing my love of learning as well. So in hindsight, it was always there. I can remember when the penny dropped then in year 12, and then it took until I was in my 30s to realise that actually this, some, somewhere issues rich, I need to be in issues rich. And I suppose it's a combination of the skills I've developed my whole life and also the work experience now is that I just see an end to a crisis. No matter what the crisis is, I can see the pathway to get to the other side of it. Um, and so that's that's where I am. So I went from military, I went back into politics. I worked as a senior advisor to a prime minister in Australia, a senior media advisor. I uh, ran a minister's office around a, a media campaign for a budget. And uh, then I ran a political party so uh, and then I had babies and I realized that the, the parliament floor was probably not the ideal place for the firstborn to learn how to crawl so I then <laughs> I know I, I think in one way it's really exciting and then the other one I think oh my goodness what was on that floor but um and and that is um and then I started my own consulting and I just work with private um groups for consulting now great great now, well well, that's that's uh, that's wonderful, and uh, we're going to get into some more of that. We're going to start off with global strategy, though. Let's uh, let's dive I'm, in. I'm sorry. That's I okay. Just, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, Rob. I'm no, a solo that, parent. No, that's all right. Dragon. Pre-R-A-G, dragon, dragon. Sorry, Rob. I'm solo parenting at the moment. So no, let me just close the door. No problem, no problem. Um, I, said, yeah. I said if they put on technology, they were not to come in and the seven-year-old needs to look after the five-year-old. That's fine. We're, we're used to it. We're used to it here and uh, no problem whatsoever. So, so global strategy then. So in your extensive background in advising top-tier politicians and, of course, military officials, could you share your approach for formulating strategies in high-stakes global scenarios? Of course, but there's lots of those uh, in this uh, day and age that we, that we have to deal with as, uh, as leaders. So how do you balance short-term needs with those long-term uh, geopolitical goals? So, Rob, on your podcast, uh, I, one of your 
podcast guest Nathan Miller spoke about making sure that the communications team or the crisis team were on board really before the rubber hits the road Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that they are in the task the whole way through the planning. And for me, that is key. I've seen so many really good programs and really important programs fail for the lack of someone with either crisis comms or big picture planning comms in the room when the event's been organised. And also I think a key about um, crisis communications and communication specialists in a crisis is often those people are really in tune with what's happening in the media, across social media, old and new traditional medias, what people are talking about in chat groups, what people are talking about across social media. And to bring that knowledge and bring that current feeling or sentiment or community sentiment into a planning meeting is really important because often in those high stakes environment, it becomes quite a bubble. Mm -hmm. And I know we talk about that here around politics, that it it really is the Canberra bubble or the DC bubble. And And it's very important to have someone who is really in tuned to what trends are, what's happening in the broader community. So make sure that you've got those those crisis planning communicators, people who can see all the worst case scenarios, not just from an operational level, but from a public affairs perspective and make sure that they're in the room when the planning begins. I know um, organising a really high level visit. And when I say really high level, I mean POTUS um, and and. But just by chance, I was in the same room as the leadership group and the military leadership group, and they were they were halfway down planning something, and I was like, "Oh, this is not going to work well here. This this community won't. This will get them offside from the from the get go. This is where we need to be. This is what's important to them. It's not you know, um, it's not the visit to this area that looks really good or that the good optic." or that is important to you, this over here, half a kilometre away, is a much more significant venue for the local community if you want them on board. So having someone in the room. The other thing is the stakeholder relationships. So know all that. For me, it always comes down to relationships. I feel like I'm bang on about this the whole time. but, But I know that what sets good crisis communicators apart is their relationships, not just with their uh, their clients, but with everyone in those stakeholder circles. So know who your players are, know what their roles are, know what their ends are or what their objectives are. Because if you know what their objectives are, you can meet your message to meet their objectives. I find that often we get so caught up on what are our objectives that we forget that everyone else has objectives too. Is there a way that we can work together to meet everyone's objectives? And And if some people's objectives can't be met, are they important objectives? So who's interesting to watch? Who's vital? Who's not vital? Where does your energy need to go in the planning? Do you need to look? If someone's really interesting and taking up a lot of noise and space, but how important are they really? It's really, I, I do stakeholder matrixes all the time. I do little maps and mind maps all the time. And people are like, oh, here comes Sally with her highlighters and her textures. But it's because <laughs> it's really 
important to have that mapping like anything else. If you're doing a military exercise and you're mapping out and you're looking for what your threats are, looking for the um, the geography of, of the land, it's exactly the same around the geography of the perceptions and the communication. So make sure you know where your energy needs to go. That's a great analogy. I love that because often when we go into these crisis simulation exercises and some of the biggest companies in the world, quite frankly, and you start to talk about, you know, those those criticals, just starting off with the critical list. Who are your critical stakeholders, yes. right? And of course, you know, some some are quite pretty obvious and those relationships are fairly defined. And, that's, and then many are not, right? And, and many have not even been thought about. And that's why, you know, going mm -hmm. through that training is important. And um, that stakeholder register, as we call it, so similar to, to what you're doing there. But uh, the level of detail you can get involved with there is really imperative. But uh, to back up on that is that have those relationships made out in front you know, in front of the crisis, right, and and build on those relationships. And, and it takes time. It takes effort. And, and that's part of your whole planning process. But uh, without having those in, in place, uh, the crisis is, uh, you know, very quickly either going to come to a standstill or is going to get very messy early on because that those co the coordination and communication with those uh, is imperative from, from the moment one. I could not agree more. And that's why I bang on all the time around looking at your worst case scenario before it happens and doing that planning so that you know who you need on your side. Not even on big, not even if right. you're talking geopolitical even if you're a e-commerce business and you've got a bad google review it's right. really great to have a community who can stick up for you say someone's written something bad on facebook you want your community to activate and to be um and rebutting that or arguing against it or saying oh, i had an excellent experience with rob right. um and so that's the stakeholders on a really granular um I think, Rob, I, I don't know whether you, you find this as well, but I find that a lot of businesses and individuals, when they're talking about their reputation management, think that they're too small to fail rather yeah, than that yeah. too big to fail, right. that the crisis won't hit them because they're only SMEs or, you know, they're only making a few million a year. Well, crisis can hit everyone. And so it's really important to have those stakeholder matrices and those those registers up to date and be looking after them and working out what do they need from your relationship so it's not all take that there's give as well. Yeah, the reality is they're, they're probably more vulnerable, right? Um, just because of that, those the lack of resources and experience that they have. Okay, moving on. Let's go into let's dive into crisis management and take a look at some insights here, drawing from your experience, specifically in the public uh, affairs arena. Um, looking at those global events that you've been part of and that you've managed, and uh, could you tell us a couple of examples or an example of a particularly challenging situation that you've been able to navigate a team through or um, you know coordinate with another organization? Of course. Now, um, my biggest lesson here, and we've seen it a lot in Australia in the last year, is never let the response to the crisis be bigger than the crisis itself. Right. We are seeing so often here because in these big issues, people are too scared to act and move and too scared to speak. They're sort of working on a crisis framework or a comms framework that, that was okay in 1980 right. but, but isn't great here and was okay. And, you know, I still see people, um, and I'm sure you've seen this too, giving examples, you know, doing crisis training and giving examples of like the Reagan, um, the, the, the Reagan challenger um, as oh, yeah. the best way to navigate a crisis. Well, that was appropriate then, but it's not appropriate now. Right. Um, so for me, it's, um, really making sure that the crisis doesn't 
become the response to the crisis doesn't become bigger than the crisis itself so for me and in my experience of of the scale events that I've I've managed is that um communication always comes back to those relationships and, and the communications and the stakeholders need um so making sure you know you're going to communicate the process making sure the process is in place now it's really hard to give specific examples because obviously I've signed on a lot of dotted lines yeah, um yeah. Just that I wouldn't give um which I always find so funny when people are like, oh, this is who we've crisis managed. I'm like, oh, my God, my clients would kill me if they if pe- the whole point is that no one knows they've ever had a crisis. Right. But um, I think yeah, in, that in, gen- in general, you know, in, in general, in general terms, yeah. So in general, I think that in huge and critical events, it comes back to the simple frameworks that have always worked. It's that communicate your needs find out what the stakeholder needs are and get buy-in. And don't be fooled by this, like these gurus out there who say, you know, like um, if you're being authentic enough and you you come out and you're authentic straight away, I believe in authenticity 100%. That's part of my brand values. But it's still work. If you just get up and give a statement and you haven't done the work around it, right, it falls down. I think... We get so caught up in, you know, the fast pace of a media cycle or when something goes bad, it goes horribly bad. The reality in the crisis is that it is really hard work and it takes hard work. It takes 24-hour work. It takes being on all the time. It takes being really committed to the solution. And for me, it's around that buy-in. So in a serious crisis of a geopolitical scale you need everyone on your team so you need to have had to do that work before the crisis so that everyone's got the buy-in comes yeah. back to communication all the time everything I've seen fail and of course we've all seen failures like I think anyone who gets on a podcast and says oh I've never had a crisis fail or things have never got worse when I've got involved um I think that that's just that is inauthentic yeah. but Every time there's been a failure, it's around communication of needs. Yeah, sure. And the preparedness piece you 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 keep oh. hopping on about is uh, is imperative. And uh, you know everything that we do here at PreparedX, oh, you know, well, the vast majority of what we do here is uh, on the training and exercise side to oh. get to get those teams ready. So I'd love to move on to the dynamics of uh, the collaborative approach to all of this. So obviously, you, throughout your career, you've worked with Australian uh, politicians, and obviously, as we mentioned, the U.S. Uh, Joint Chief of Staff or Chiefs of Staff. So how do you navigate the complexities of international collaboration in such high-level contexts? And uh, what are the most important factors in building and, of course, maintaining those cross-cultural relationships? Lots, very complex situation. So complex. And honestly, I shake my head because, by goodness, it's an exhausting process. There's When you're working in that level, we've all got ego, no matter how much we meditate or how many kundalini yoga classes we do, we've all got ego. And when people are playing um, in that high stakes, we know that the ego piece is a really big one. And so for me, I would say where else, you know, in Australia, we really work on this tall poppy thing that you don't say how good you are because people cut you down. But the reality is, is that I've had some really great success in my career and done some work I'm really proud of. And I would say that the key is that I've always been authentic in my relationships, where I have the freedom to tell the truth, 
I always tell the truth. I always make sure that people know all the information that they need. I don't keep secrets or withhold information um, because unless it's something that's commercial in confidence or unless it's a security issue, that everyone who's playing around the table needs to have the same information um, because we need to work on that assumption of all things are never equal, but people need to have the right information to be able to work well together. So I would say that authenticity is um, really a key. And for me, I think that sometimes this, you know, in a re on a really personal level, people get really caught up again in that ego piece. I'm really honest of who I am. I came from a tiny country town. I grew up on a farm. I swear, um, you know, my, you know, I've got a five-year-old who walks in the door when I do podcasts or <laughs> yeah. really authentic around who I am. I'm a working mum. Um, I have a business. Um, I bring my personal into my professional life in a way so I can create good relationships because we've all got a backstory. And if yep. you're authentic, if you're authentic, the connection is greater. It is more genuine. You have a better um, environment of trust. So authenticity for me is key. Like I didn't grow up in a wealthy household and have access. I did go to one of the best universities here, but that was because I worked really hard to get there and I had a scholarship. And so I haven't come from a background of privilege, but um, I've come from a background of working really hard to do a really good job. And I'm really honest about that. Um, and so I think finding common elements is really important. We've all got a backstory. So how do we connect with the people that we're working on? How do we make sure they know that we've got their best interests in heart? And for me now, where I take private clients, I've got some extraordinary private clients and they are all going through what is probably the very darkest, hardest days of their life. Right. Um, and it is really important for them to know that I'm going to be honest with them. I'm going to tell them the truth and I am going to, you know, share things about me and parts of me with them. And, you know, sometimes we might be working for three months in a row. I just had a, a client over Christmas. We were talking five and six times a day, um, talking and, and and we were texting twenty, basically 24 hours a day. Um, that was one of the hardest, most difficult times in her life, in her family's life, um, and that we had a relationship that was built on commonalities and understanding. And I think we can all find commonalities with everyone. We're all human. The other thing for me is authentic, apart from authenticity, a bit of fun goes a long way because yeah, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. work really, let's be honest, really tough, hard, miserable situations, goodness me, it is important to have some fun and yes. to be able to have a laugh and to have a bit of social time. I've travelled a lot with people I've been working with and, you know, we might be in the middle of nowhere. We might be in the past it's been, you know, in military training areas and um, or on airfields or, you know, in rainforests in northern Queensland where crocodiles are. But, look, it's great to be able to have some fun there, whether it's having a social meal together. So I know this sounds really um, simplistic when we're talking about complex geopolitical events and crisis. Crisis. But in the end, we're all human. We've all yeah. got needs. And we all want to connect with each other. And if you've got a relationship of trust, understanding, authenticity, and there's a little bit of fun there, it goes a long way to making something work. The other thing is if people 
like you and have a good working relationship with you, they are more likely to do you a favour. Um, I'm a big fan of that you attract more flies with honey, or it should be bees really, but more flies with honey than you do vinegar. That has served me really well. That served me really well with the highest ranked military officials in Australia and in, um, in America that, you know, why be miserable and make things tough and hard when you're in a tough and hard situation anyway? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love that. Uh, love that approach. All right. So let's talk it's a little bit. Of... I know. It sounds I, so stupid, I, I, but it's I, so important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, no, I understand. And, and, you know, the British humor, as you're fully aware, similar to the Australian humor that, um, you know, we, we, we go there anyway, whether you like it or not. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about proactive versus reactive strategies, because I know you love the proactive piece. And of course you're involved in the reactionary, um, you know, components, especially as it comes to, you know, the public affairs and global affairs. So could you elaborate uh, on the importance of each one and perhaps uh, share an instance um, with regards to the outcome from a proactive approach that significantly helped a situation. Yeah, of course. Um, I love the proactive response and so do you and I know that's why we've connected. I thrive in the reaction though because, and again, it's coming back to talking about years of experience and skill that, you know, when you do something often enough, obviously you become very good at it and that, you um, I am very good at seeing the end of a crisis and what step, steps need to be taken to get safely and as good as a bad situation can get to the end of the crisis. So I love, there is nothing, and I don't know, it's <laughs> sort of, it's a mean addictive thing, I think, is in the middle of a crisis, fixing a crisis, there is nothing quite like it. And I think we're a very weird and and crazy chaos bunch, aren't we, who, yep. who love that. Who It's just such a sense of, um, how I can serve other people by saying you are in the worst period of your life. I'm going to use my skills and I'm going to make it better for you. Right. Um, yeah. Which, which you know, let's say, look, CEOs of top companies uh, respond to that a bit better than five-year-olds. I can tell you that for free. They don't want any fixing. Um, but in this instance, we've learned a lot in Australia. We're a bit in Australia, and for your Australian listeners, I'm sorry, but we are a fair bit behind in crisis management than the UK and the US. We are miles behind. There is so much reactory crisis management. People, There are so many people who still think that the most common crisis is one of those overnight crises that kill your business, kill your reputation. But we know that's not the case. I talk a lot about a slow burn crisis and a creeping crisis because the majority of the crises we see are creeping crises or they're slow burns. I do a lot with slow burn and um, and I do a lot with creeping crisis. And, and that's why I love the, the proactive bit is that if you see a pattern in your business, like one instance, two instances, three smells a bit smoky, it's starting to smell a bit smoky, you know there's a fire coming. But we don't think that way. There are so many myths around crisis management and crisis planning that it does businesses and, and individuals a disservice that they can't recognise what a crisis is. I feel like I'm on a one-woman mission here in Australia to be talking <laughs> about slow and creeping crisis. I just all the time. And, you know, when people write something, they say, oh, I've had six bad Google reviews, you know, like a, a big online business. They're like, oh, but, you know, we're too big. Six is nothing. I'm like, actually, six is starting a pattern. So know what your patterns are. So the lessons to be learned there are really understand what your worst case scenario is. For yep. some people, it is 
is business ending. So that's what I say, even if people are scared to start thinking about being proactive, all you have to do is think about what keeps you awake at two o'clock in the morning. What is keeping you awake? Let's work out the steps from there. Then you'll be able to sleep better. But for me, um, I'll give you an example of of what a, a, um, a client that I've, I've worked with, and it was around a, um, a, a slow burn crisis. So a very high profile person was involved in an accident where other people were killed. Um, and and the, the person's um, partner was aware of the autopsy results and there was a substance, um, an illicit substance found in the autopsy results. So... Um, the partner was made aware of that and um, and so had some time to plan around how they would deal with that. Um, and this was a few years ago and it was a very high profile case um, and it was about knowing that this news would come out um, right. that would be leaked that no matter how many protocols were in place, it was such a juicy story. Um, there were people, there were media who would pay for the information. So <laughs> right, on yeah. All probably, yeah, on all probability, it would be lead. So um, I worked with with this, the partner, the husband in the case and, or not the case, but the I worked with the husband and, and we really came up with a strategy um, to mitigate the conversation. So yeah. that involved getting health professionals, that involved toxicology experts, that involved um, road safety experts. So it was about gathering all the information so that um, when it was leaked, waiting for it to be leaked rather than going out ahead, because you know there's a, there was always we weighed up the risk around where that would be, but um, waiting for it to come out. And when it came out, to be able to talk to everyone who is running the stories and having those, and that comes back to having good media relationships talking to all of those people and saying these are the, the facts actually yep. um this is what happened this is you know what what caused that high profile accident and or that high profile death and um and this doesn't come into play so when you're creating a story make sure it's fact-based rather than sensationalized and that could have you know three or four years ago blown up to be one of the biggest stories and really created a different legacy for this high profile person um but it, it, it didn't in the end and it was all it came down to having all of those relationships set up and the worst case scenario really written out so that when it happened it's simply a matter of following a step by step process um and, and I know that you're you talk about that a lot and we both know that when you've got a map in front of you, it's easy to get to A to B rather than just right. wandering long yeah. through the wood. So yeah. so that's an example of, of when you know in a slow burn. So another slow burn um, that I had was a really high-profile organisation that takes a lot of charity money, um, and they had a staff member embezzling significant multi-millions from them over a long period of time. Um, but that was discovered by another staff member and police were involved. But while the police were undertaking their investigations, I was able to come in, we were able to come in and um, plan their entire process for dealing with it because it was going to get out and then it would affect their, their operational ability. It would affect their funding. It would affect their um, standing in the community. They're a significant charity um, and, you know, they wouldn't be able to run without the philanthropic input of many high-profile people. And so 
Uh, it was about making sure all of those relationships were, were secured. So it's not just about obviously media or it's not just about public opinion. It's those conversations behind closed doors. Yep. Um, and if that story just had have broken on the front page of the of Australia's biggest newspaper, there would have been donors pulling back left, right and centre. There would have been such negative public sentiment. But we were able to explain to all of those stakeholders and media involved, this was the reality. This person um, had addiction issues, mental health problems, um, and also explain the steps the organisation had taken to ensure that it could never help happen again. They tighten their governance, they tighten their checks and balances. So it's not just telling the story, it's also about making sure that the, the organisation has the steps in place so the crisis can't happen again. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Well, and thanks for sharing those stories. Um, fascinating. Um, so adapting to the unpredictable environment. So obviously um, the chaos that ensues, um, you know, when a, a global affair, you know, unfolds or a public relations related crisis unfolds. Um, so how do you, have you any tools or methodologies to help kind of, you know, find, um, you know, some calm during the chaos? How, how do you go about that? Um, apart from a bit of meditation, you know, no, <laughs> now I'm laughing there because you know, we're talking about unpredictability in those scales. It, I know it sounds ridiculous, but in those meetings, like meetings with the highest pro uh, the highest ranked officials or politicians, one person cannot respond, like nods their head in the wrong way. And all of a sudden it's a political or diplomatic incident. And maybe they just had an itch on the side of their face, but maybe someone thought that they were, you know, like gesturing that it wasn't important or, you know, something that small can derail something that significant. And yeah. it's important to always remember that because we know in chaos that you can't control everything. That's the nature of chaos and, and the beautiful and brilliant nature of chaos that brings us so many gifts but also so many challenges. And for me, it is controlling the controllables. So absolutely everything that you, you can control, you control in those situations. And that comes right down to, and this will sound, you know, a little bit life coach self-helping, but that comes down to controlling your energy in a meeting or in these situations. I can control how I react and how I feel and how I communicate in a meeting. And if I'm leading the crisis, the program, or if I'm leading the crisis planning or the response, controlling my energy and my reactions are really important. Controlling how I speak in that moment are really important. So that sounds a bit life coaching, controlling your, um, your, your, your energy. But the other thing I find is, Absolutely controlling your controllables. Have everything organised yes. so that when things happen. So control controllables. Have you got a legal advisor? Are they on call? Do you know their phone number at 2 a.m. in the morning? These right. seems like such granular, but you and I know that's, you know, I've seen issues happen where a legal advisor couldn't get, you know, the, the only trusted legal advisor, not the 15 on call, but the only trusted one, you know, it was out of range for 15 hours. And so it set the whole response back because there wasn't any legally safe or le there was legally safe language. It just wasn't cleared by that one individual. So yeah, yeah. where do you make sure that they've got an alternate contact? What's their partner's name? How, 
All of those things make or break a crisis. Control the controllables. Do you have a really good calendar in place in your organisation so that you're checking in on a regular basis? Have you got a crisis manager and have you got a meeting set up with them every three weeks for a half an hour phone call to make sure you're on top of things? Control the controllables. And it goes all the way from the energy of your crisis manager to have you got a good lawyer? Um, yeah. Do you know your social media passwords? I've seen really big organisations who, you know, the CEO doesn't even know that they've got an Instagram account. Yeah. You know, so control the controllables. Yeah, we. I, I heard recently uh, about the you know, concern about bringing the external uh, counsel in uh, for, for a tabletop exercise due to the cost. And I said, well, you know, you, you're better off bringing them in now and, and then trying to figure out what the relationship, because there's a big legal component to this scenario um, that we were discussing. And I said, you know, better off bring them in now. Um, you know, again, don't worry about them. It's okay, 500 bucks an hour. I don't know, whatever they are, you know, it's going to be, you know, that, that investment might be worth it now if there's if there's less of a legal component to the scenario i understand it and you don't want to go down that path maybe bring them in virtually for the last 30 minutes of the conversation but uh yeah you uh you certainly want to kind of iron all that out ahead of time and uh and, and so that's great stuff yeah um let's talk yeah. let's yeah go ahead say it even comes down to having someone in your organization knowing your critical incident management plan knowing who your team is and on that team make sure you've got someone from it so, and make sure that someone from IT or you've got a trusted IT consultant knows in your Google Drive or have a Google, it comes down even in the, this is what I click thinking, even in the biggest organisations with the most amount of resources and the mo and the biggest budgets I've seen, haven't got a prepared statements folder. So yeah. that, you know, if something happens, they've got a prepared statement for nearly every worst case scenario, for, when this is what I advise, have a prepared statement for every worst case scenario. And then when it comes, you've already got it legal. You just need to put in the particulars. Now, people right. think that's not, that's not authentic. That is authentic. That's just being prepared and authentic. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we, yeah, we, we certainly see, um, you know, those more advanced organisations have those common scenarios that are high-level risk for them. Yeah. So, you know, um, and then, you know, because ultimately, you know, you, there may, something may come out of left field and you, you have to get creative with your messaging at that point, right? So, which is fine, but at least you've thought through that process. So, all right, good stuff. All right, I want to wrap up by asking your advice for those that uh, are looking to get into the trade uh, for, of diplomacy yeah. and strategic roles within, you know, government and military sectors. So what's your top tips for them? Um, someone looking to get into the uh, the trade of all things crisis, communications, preparedness, both for uh, the political world as well as uh, military and, of course, the uh, private sector. Mine is to be curious, be really curious and say yes to opportunities. So yes, I think there yeah. are some people who think, oh, I want to get into military or diplomacy or politics because it's really exciting. We get to travel the world and we get to do exciting things. Now, look, I did, like, I've um, climbed off a rope ladder off a war uh, aircraft carrier. Um, I've done some really exciting things like that and I have to say... Um, they were they were significant um, challenges, but very exciting. I've done those amazing things, but you know what? I've worked really freaking hard. Um, so know your why. It isn't just for travel and a glamorous lifestyle. For all of us who've been there, know that it's not. It's a lot of late nights and early mornings, and yeah. so you have to have 
curiosity and a real interest. Um, I never thought I'd be interested in in um, military and defence, and actually it, it has become one of my great loves because I've seen um, the the good work that can be done through defence. So know your why and be curious and say yes and be willing to work, um, learn and also be really respectful of the different environments that you're going into yeah. as well. When you're working in different cultures and across different languages and different communities, it's about that curiosity about what's important to those communities and what's important to those cultures. Um, I know that uh, when I worked for the US Department of State, there were two uh, um, diplomats who were renowned for always saying, well, when we were in Africa, this worked really well, so let's roll it out here. Yeah. And that was the biggest frustration. They had a really bad reputation saying this worked really well. And as a locally engaged staff, I spent a whole three years saying to this one person in particular, but we're not, we're in um, a completely different country, a completely different culture. Yeah. And in this instance, our examples of expertise are greater than the ones that you've come from in the States. Right. So what worked in one country or one, and it's the same, it doesn't matter whether it's country or organisation or a, a culture or a business, what works there, learn yeah. and be curious about what works where, where your area of operation is. And that is my key for crisis managers too, learn what matters and be curious about your area of operation. Wonderful, wonderful. I love it. I love it. Great way to uh, wrap it up. Thank you for your time um today so um we're gonna add your link into the uh, linkedin profile so folks can get a hold of you is there any other way they can get a hold of you if they want to reach out sally um of course my email is sally at sally consulting.com i'm also on instagram at um now i've forgotten what my instagram is let's leave that off edit that out rob <laughs> <laughs> no problem no 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 just no editing we're just going to go for it you know the the, the oh uh, my goodness yeah yeah, yeah. no no we, so, we love, I know we love the rawness of the podcast yeah wasn't i just saying something about being authentic so you've yeah, got exactly to and then and then you're asking me to edit things yeah <laughs> no it is yeah just edit that out can you edit yeah. the five-year-old walking in the door asking to spell dragon as well um <laughs> Rob, my Instagram is Sally Branson Consulting. And that is that comes back. I've got an Instagram because it comes back to having a bit of fun. Here yes. in Australia, as I said, that there is a fair bit of myth-making around crisis. People don't only think that crisis is about when things are really bad. They're not into that proactive. Um, and we've got so many people who, who it really is, it's not a fatal mistake for them, but it might be a fatal mistake for their reputation or their business. So I like to have a bit of fun. I do a little bit of dissemination of um, good stories of media, and I do a little bit of review of what went wrong and how to make sure you don't do this as well. That's my, my Instagram's my fun side. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I appreciate your time today, uh, Sally. Of course, um, you know, um, different uh, time of day there, evening here, and uh, just getting your day started over there. So we appreciate it. Thank you very much.
Oh, Rob, I can't wait to see you at the conference. It's going to be such a great lineup. I am so excited. That's right. We can't wait to see you as well. So thank you very much. Okay, that wraps up uh, 132. And as Sally mentioned there, mark your calendars, June 4th through to the 6th. I think uh, the 5th and 6th are the main days. But if you can join us on June 4th, we're going to have some cocktails. Hopefully Sally will be there as well in time for the cocktail reception. Go to crisisconferences.com for more information. Sally, once again, uh, enjoy the rest of your day enjoy the swimming lessons tonight and um, our, and we'll be in touch really soon in fact we got tea and chaos coming up with icmc soon so there's a little plug for tea and chaos so looking forward to that thanks rob yeah thank you take care